When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? February 10th edition of the Fightful MMA Podcast. An extreme, special, and unbelievable honor to bring back an old foe of mine, an old friend of mine, an old guy. Uh, And I don't mean old guy in terms of age because we're both, um, I guess you could say we're advanced age, but a pal of mine who I've traveled this globe with on numerous occasions doing play-by-play with commentary, hosting shows, and just trying not to get in trouble with each other. The legendary, you know him as a UFC Hall of Famer, Frank Trigg, all the way in Hawaii. Frank, what's going on, my man? Man, it's a great day. I can't, uh, it's, you know, for you, it's lunchtime. For me, it's barely breakfast time. So it's, uh, I can't really complain waking up in the morning. Of course, I have to see your ugly mug first thing in the morning. But as soon as I get done, I go look at the ocean off my balcony. So it's not that bad of a, that, that bad of a day. Ladies and gentlemen, did I not tell you this when I was tweeting this out here? It wouldn't take him more than a minute. Less, it took him less than, no, not even a minute to take no. a shot at me. So you can imagine what this <laughs> podcast is now going to be about. Now, you're, you're in Hawaii. As you know, people know, um, there's a five-hour time difference between where you are and where I'm at. I'm, I'm north, just northeast of Toronto. You're in Hawaii. There's a five-hour difference. It's 7.30 in the morning for Frank. Uh, it's well, 7.36. It's 12.36 here. How have you adjusted? Because you, you, you were born, I believe, um, Chai Town, if I'm not mistaken, lived oh. in Vegas forever, and now you're in Hawaii. Yeah, uh, born in Rochester, New York. New York, so that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So basically, my joke is that, yeah, I'm from New York, and you talk to anybody else, oh, New York City, what borough? You're like, upstate. I'm like, oh, where? I'm like, I'm so far upstate, I'm Canadian. I'm in the far <laughs> western corner. If it wasn't for that damn lake, I'd be Canadian. That's just how it worked out. So, um, yeah, and I lived in Vegas for a while. It was, it was, so it's kind of tough because I'm not, where Jill, she's stuck on the island. She's a regular full-time job. She's a manager for Lululemon, Canadian company out of Vancouver. They have a store down here in, in Waikiki. So she's a regular nine-to-five job. So she can't travel like I do. So she's kind of stuck here on the island. So she gets like island fever. It was like, I'm, I'm on this little rock. I, I got to get someplace else kind of thing. For me, it's not that bad because I get to go to LA every, every sometimes, Christ, I'm gone. So in January, I was gone for two weeks of the whole month. Like I'm back on, I'm back in LA working, but so I go and work, come back for a couple of days and go, go and work and come back. So for me, I'm always battling jet lag. Always. Like it never stops for me because right now, like you said, it's, it's seven Then all of a sudden I'm at, I'm at nine when I'm in LA, but I'm dealing with like right now, the UFC 208, everyone's in Brooklyn. So I'm having to deal with their time. Like they want to do stuff at like seven 8 o'clock in the morning, Brooklyn time, which is, which is your time it's three in the morning for me. So I have to get up and do my interviews. And, and so it's, so for me, I'm always in the middle of a, of a, of a situation where I'm always dealing with time. 
but then it's 75 degrees and sunny and the ocean breeze is great and I'm on and I'm on the sand at 11 o'clock in the morning. So on one hand, I'm complaining and bitching because I have to worry about time and try to get everything scheduled that way. But then the other hand, I'm like, eh, what am I really complaining about? <laughs> I'm like, I, got, I got this thing to go to here in a minute, so it's fine. What this the whole the thing in my brain about Chai Town? You were doing business in Chai Town with Trigonomics back in the day, right? Yeah, I was doing a, a crap ton of business in in, uh, in Chai Town. Chai Town, Dallas, and St. Louis became like my hubs, and it was really but Chicago was really the, the the best spot. Of course, I had at the time, I had uh, several friends that played for the Cubs. Um, uh, Erlocker was still playing for the uh, um, the Bears, so I had some inroads with them just because I casually knew some of those guys and kind of helped out with some of my clothing sales. Yeah. So right now, uh, obviously, we, we mentioned you as a UFC Hall of Famer. Your, your mixed martial arts career has ended in the cage, but you're also refereeing, you're judging. But what, what is a day in the life or a week or a month in the life of Frank Trey? Because you've got acting gigs as well. Yeah, well, so let me take you through like the last, let me take you through the last like 30 days. So um, Jill and I scheduled a vacation she, uh, to go to Vegas, see her mom and grandmother, my mom, my kids, uh, my brother, uh, uh, we leave Hawaii Sunday, excuse me, Saturday night at 10 o'clock. We land into Vegas at 9 a.m. Sunday morning because the overnight. Um, I land on Sunday. We're just getting to her mom's house, which is like maybe 10, 15 minutes from the airport. And my phone is blowing up with an L.A. number that I don't recognize. It's just a text message. Hey, they're asking me, hey, can you work this week? Like we have a, an acting gig. The actor we had fell out. Can you come in and cover? I'm like, Jill, I know I'm on vacation, but can I go cover this thing on Wednesday um, for a buddy of mine? It's an acting gig. Can I go? Can I go do it? She's like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's go to LA. We'll go see our friends in LA real quick and make it a one dayer. Monday morning, I get hit up. Hey, uh, can you cover this other acting gig? It's a totally different guy. Acting gig on Thursday. I'm like, sure, why not? In the middle of that, I get called by. I get a text from California State Athletic Commission. Hey, do you want to work Bellator on Saturday? Um, we have a slot. You need to be analyzed. We need to review your skill set within the ring as a judge. Do you want to come cover the the, um, the TRT's Chael Sonnen event? And now, obviously, not that fight, but do you want to come cover? So I go from having nothing, just like hanging out on vacation, hanging out with my kids, playing around, to literally within 24 hours, now I have three gigs. I got to go work, right? So we drive from Vegas to L.A. I work, when, I work uh, Wednesday, Thursday, drive back Thursday night as soon as I wrap to Vegas, hang out with the kids and the family on Friday, drive back to L.A. Saturday morning, work Bellator, drive back to, uh, uh, to Vegas and uh, see, the, see the family again and then take off for Hawaii on Monday. Land Monday, get a phone call from uh, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, uh, Tim, who's the stunt coordinator for Lethal Weapon. Hey, can you come out and work this Thursday for me on Lethal Weapon? I fly back on Wednesday, work uh, Lethal Weapon on that, that Friday. Fly back while I'm flying. He texts me. I'm in the air. Of course, of course I don't get it because you don't get the the go 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 in flight all the way across the ocean. I land. I answer him back. He's like, "Hey, I got two more days for you. Can you come back next week?" I fly back again next week. Do it again. While I'm doing that, I get the the result that hey, we're going to have you uh, ref the next Bellator event in San Jose on the 18th, and then um, I. Go to now. This is Super Bowl weekend, so I come back. I land like, hey, great! I'm with Bellator now. This is gonna be awesome. I'm going to Super Bowl with a bunch of my friends from Hawaii Five O, the stunt team. We're gonna hang out, have a great time. Great Super Bowl party, by the way. I had an amazing Super Bowl party. I wanted the Falcons to win and was hooked to the TV the entire time until the Patriots finally pulled it off. Like, it was a great game. Walk out of there and I get hired to work Thursday, or, or yeah, I got hired to work yesterday, Thursday for Hawaii Five O for a day. So 
like literally my schedule, my a day in the life of can be, I got nothing going on. I'm just doing, I'm riding my bike. I'm doing a 50 mile bike ride. I'm uh, uh, doing some mitt work. I'm rolling a little bit in jits. Uh, I'm doing interviews to all of a sudden, Hey, you got to travel this whole next week. Like it's crazy right now, but that's kind of how we set it up that I have a lot of different things going on and I want to be, um, uh, the only time I'm, I'm really tied down is when I'm in Vegas on the weekends uh, where I'm watching the kids play baseball and doing gymnastics. And that's when I'm, that's when I'm really locked in. Other than that, my schedule's kind of fly by the seat of my pants. Wow. Is it a case of feast or famine or is there always work no matter what with all the different things that you're doing? There, it, it is a case of feast or famine within each individual thing, but there's always work. So it's like if, when, when stunts kind of falls off, acting might pick up a little bit. When acting falls off, the podcast picks up a little bit. All of a sudden, um, you're, you're like, geez, you know, nothing's really happening. Nothing's really happening. You have to realize that in, in a very short period of time, you're going to be booked up where you have no breaks. So take the day to actually get laundry done, do your taxes, uh, go to the bank. Like just understand like this is, this is, this is, uh, uh the universe's way of going, Hey, look, you need a day off. We're just going to give it to you when no one's going to answer you. No one's going to text you back. No one's going to answer you. We're giving you a hint. Go do other crap. So I have to go do other stuff. And then because our life is kind of crazy, all of a sudden, like uh, um, in Hawaii, we only have uh, we only have one car. So I drop Jill off at work and pick her up every day. Uh, so I have the car throughout the day to do what I have to do. Uh, and so like, I'll just all of a sudden pick her up, bring her a change of clothes, uh, tell her to go back into the store, change her clothes, and we'll just have an impromptu date night because it's like a Wednesday because that's the one night that I kind of have off and that she has off and we kind of go, we just make it happen all all of a sudden. So the schedule, if you plan it, if you have a a, a loose framework within a schedule, it's pretty easy, but otherwise you're like, man. And then on top of that, let's not forget. I'm obsessed with fights. So every single weekend, if I'm not refing a fight, if I'm not judging a fight, I'm watching fights. So like this whole weekend is based around UFC 208. Like we have a whole, a whole group of people here in Hawaii we watched the, we watched the fights with. And actually, Jeff Caliente, the stunt coordinator, uh, is the guy that like facilitates this. He's a fight fan as well. We all go to his place, huge 90-inch screen TV. We sit down and watch the fights. Everyone leaves me alone during the fights so I can actually watch it how I want to watch it. They talk to me in, in between the rounds or in the breaks. Like, what do you think about that? Or what do you think about that? And then we get in our arguments about what should have happened, what could have happened, and all that crap. But then the whole – all of Saturday is nothing but fight teams. So for Jill, sometimes – it's three days of fights. It, I'm, I'm, it's just like I'm refing on Friday. I'm watching on Saturday. I'm refing on Sunday. It's like, you know, she's just stuck. So it's, it gets pretty hectic, but you just got to have a little small framework of scheduling around it to make it work. You see, you do need a partner that's basically going to understand it. And, and for those who don't know, when Frank says Jill, uh, just go on his Instagram at Frank Trigg. You'll, you'll see Jill there. Uh, and I can attest that <laughs> when Jill speaks, Frank and I basically shut up because <laughs> – she basically has these two bald guys and if she just wants to keep us in that corner and move, that's what's going to happen. Well, the thing, the thing is that I realized, you know, this is my first rodeo, right? You know, so I've had, I've had several, several extremely publicly blown up relationships. And so you learn that this is going to sound really sexist, but she knows her place. She knows if it's you and I, there's banter between you and I, and she knows, okay, it's getting a little, it's getting a little out, outrageous. And so the image of you and I now is becoming a negative image of the two of us. So she'll tell us to go sit in the corner. And we go, and we're like, okay, if she spoke, we got to go sit in the corner because she knows she's not going to get in the middle of something. But if it's like, 
say Lorenzo Fertitta and I speaking, which never ever happened, but if it, if it were to happen and we got some banter going back and forth, she'd let it run because that's the, that's the format. It doesn't matter what the, what the visual image is of it. And it's, it's funny having a partner that kind of gets like, it's not just what's happening this moment in time, but what gets uploaded to YouTube, what <laughs> gets uploaded to Instagram forever. You're like, okay, all right, I get it. So when she tells me I got to stop acting like that, go, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in the corner now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where we were. We were in Vegas for something, and yeah. and she just like her. I mean, for people that don't know, her wit is amazing. And yeah, I, I I like to joke around, and and Frank and I will throw pot shots at each other. And then she said something or two or three things where I was like, Frank, I, I got nothing. He's and you're like, you need to leave. And I'm like, I'm out of here. Like, I mean, she's gonna bury me. <laughs> and it was hilarious. And she got us both. I don't know what it was, what it had to do with, but it was something to do in Vegas. But it was just, I'm like, it's Jill. It's just, I'm not gonna yeah. say anything. She's just too good. Um. You mentioned fights. Actually, before we go to fights, we're going to talk about UFC 28 uh, in a moment, especially some of these, these I think, crazy odds. Uh, but I guess they're right because yeah. that's where the money is. But um, you mentioned Hawaii Five O. You mentioned the stunt stuff. Uh, talk about what it, what that's like because it's, you can't just wake up one morning and be like, yeah, you know, I'm doing stunts now, or A, or B, I'm going to be acting. I mean, there, there's some work that's involved here. So a lot of people don't know. I, I'm, I'm a trained actor. Like I, I have a minor in it from my university. I, I worked really hard at it. I take acting classes with acting school when I first moved to LA. Like I trained really hard for it. N- nothing ever happened for me. Moved to Vegas because that's where the fight world goes. Now it becomes a situation of, hey, what are you going to do now? Um, I just gave up on it. Like didn't even think about it. So get through my fighting career. Kind of decide that that I'm I'm middle of the road. I'm still top ten, but that top ten base at the time was only worth about 15 and 15, 20 and 20 every time he fought. So I would have to fight three or four times a year to make enough money to actually be making money and to pay off debt and do all that kind of thing. I was like, I'm getting, I'm getting to the point now where I'm past my prime. The money's not there. Why, why keep banging my head against the wall? I'm in Hawaii on vacation. Uh, I do a lot of men's health stuff. So I'm working for this company called Universal Men's Clinic. Um, it's a testosterone replacement for men. Uh, not athletes for generalized men. So of course, with all the, the loopholes and all that stuff for athletes, back when he first started working for him, there's still the loophole was still open for guys like Henderson and the rest of the guys who get TRT exemptions in MMA. But then it got closed. But I was still the spokesperson post fight. So I'm out doing a seminar for these guys, and, and TJ Thompson, the old promoter for Icon, where I fought Miller and I fought Lawler, is like, "Hey, I heard you're in town." I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "Hey, do you want to come watch me rob a bank?" I'm like. Hell yeah, when I watch you rob a bank. Obviously, <laughs> he's playing the bad guy. So I'm like, I get there, I hang out. All of a sudden, this guy comes next to me, starts talking to me. You know, I'm like, hey, Frank Trigg, I'm here from TJ Thompson. So he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to fight, right? And we start talking fights. He knows more about my fights than than, than I actually did. And he goes, hey, uh, what are you doing on Friday? I'm, no, I'm supposed to go to Maui. And I'm like, this, and we're on Oahu at the time in Honolulu. I'm like, you know, I'm supposed to go to Maui, but I can. it's just a you know, hotel stay. I can cancel it and do something else. Why? He goes, do you want to work on 5-0? I'm like, I'd love the show. I'm a fan of the show. I'd love to be an, I'd love to be an extra on the show. No problem. So come back Friday. I get my call time, do all that stuff. I show up and I'm like, Hey, I'm, you know, where do I, where, where do I check in? They're like, Oh, you check in over here. And I see a bunch of people, you know, milling around the other side. And when you're an extra, it's like a one line. It's like a one sheet that you fill out name, social security number, tax ID number, address, where do you want the check mailed, all that stuff, right? Well, I can hand out a folder. It's like a thick eight-page contract. I'm like, what is this? Like, oh, you're doing stunts today. I'm like, I'm not in SAG. I can't do it. Like, I'm not, like, no, no, we can Taff Hartley you in. Like, you're totally fine. You're Taff Hartley in, which is where they take somebody that can't find anybody in the local area that can do this particular stunt, 
So they bring somebody in that's not SAG, they can get them in, and you're allowed to work three times without being a member of the union. So my first gig during stunts is on Hawaii Five-0, season four, episode nine, because the guy I was talking to, watching TJ Robert Bank, was a stunt coordinator, Jeff Caliente, and he gave me my shot. So now all of a sudden, I'm in, and I start calling around other guys at that time. Jay Haran is already, already doing stunts. You've seen Jay in anything that's made in New York City. Jay Haran has been in a stunt. I don't care what the movie is. I don't care what the show is. He has been in it. So I called Jay. I'm like, Jay, like, I got called in a stunt gig. Like, what? He goes, okay, talk to this guy. Talk to this guy. This is what you have to do. He gave me my stunt education of there's protocols and set etiquette and how to get better gigs and how to get people, let people know that you're doing stunts. And so I'm doing this all the while I'm trying to pursue some, some acting as well. Then I'm doing some other odd jobs just to make money come in. I made a decision maybe four months after that, all I'm going to do is stunts and acting. That's my main gig. And everything else is going to be, is going to be you know, and of course, because I love MMA, I'm going to stick with doing my podcast for interviewing fighters. And I'm just going to get into stunts. Well, now you're in stunts, but what do you do? You're like, well, there's different, there's guys that drive. There's guys that do fire burns. There's guys that do explosions. There's, I mean, there's all different aspects of what people do. You got to find a little niche within it. Well, I'm considered a ground and pounder, meaning I'm going to fight hard. I'm going to show, I'm a really good fight scene. I can, I can choreograph or get choreographed into any fight scene uh, with wires, without wires, you know, however you want it, how you want it to look. And then eventually I'm going to fall down and go through a window, go through a table, get knocked through a wall, um, take a shock, shotgun blast to the chest. Like that's, that's what I'm known for. But I'm also learning how to drive. I'm also doing a lot of stunt driving. Uh, Practice-wise, haven't done very many gigs yet because you're talking about a big-ass machine that can kill people as you're trying to get around these corners. So it's very you have to be very cautious with it. And then I do fireburns. I do full-body fireburns, and that, that's kind of my my thing. And it's it's it wasn't like something that I that I planned. But then once you're in it, you're like, man, why the hell did I think about this before? Because there's Arnold Chun, who trains Tyron Woodley. Um, he trains a bunch of guys in MMA. He's a, he's a major stunt guy, but also a stunt coordinator. You saw him in the, in a, uh, uh, what was that movie? Olympus down, Olympus down. Uh, he was, it, it was like all these Korean guys kept dying. Well, really it was, it was like eight Chinese guys getting killed 15 times. <laughs> so it's like the, the game's being played, but that's what goes on. You get in there and you do these things and, and it's, it's incredible fun, but it, it keeps showing your toes because I still have to do acting lessons. I still have to do, I still have to do stunt lessons on different aspects within it. Um, and then you, you're always trying to work. And then on top of that, trying to get my, my reffing career advanced up, I'm just uh, uh, always having to learn, you know, every time I ref, I'm with Big John McCarthy. So I'm getting, I'm getting talked to. No matter, what, no matter how good I do, there's always a, your pinky's in the wrong spot. You look the wrong way at this one particular time. You're in the wrong area. Like there's always some little little tweaking thing that he has to get get on me for. And then so it's like I'm always learning every day. I'm always trying to process something different. So it's been it's been a good good little run. So let me ask you this: uh, two things. Number one, um, a synopsis of your life right now, a grading on your life. Are you enjoying life right now? Yeah, I'm having an awesome time. Uh, it'd be obviously be better if I was in Vegas and, and seeing my kids half the week. You know, seeing Stone Lavin half the week. But right now, because I have to reinvent myself within this industry and get my numbers, my numbers up, the eyeballs on me up, you know, like it's, it's, it's funny. Like we're in an industry now where it's not just, um, what is the last thing you've done, but what's your Instagram numbers? What's your Facebook fan page numbers? What's your Twitter numbers? Like who's following you? Like how much of a, of a, of a mover are you? So you're always having to work with that stuff. And, but yeah, it's fun. Like I am really enjoying life right now. I'm having a great time probably the calmest and most patient I've ever been. And, and I have the most 
uh, self-reflection time every day. Well, usually like I'm so crazy. And you, when you're in the rat race, you're worrying about the next, I got to be at work at nine o'clock. I got to hurt and get on the subway to get to get to work. Okay. I'm at work. Now I got to work all day. And my boss is yelling at me. Now I got to get hurt and get home. I got to get home because the wife has got to, needs me to help her make dinner. And then you're like, so you never have time for sit down and think about yourself and what you need to improve on as a, as a, as a person, as a husband, wife, as a brother, sister, as a mother, father, like, you know, time to think about that kind of stuff. I have a lot of time now for self-reflection. So I get to, I get to work on myself as well as working on myself all day. So it's kind of fun. It's kind of cool. The, the second part of the question, because you mentioned Big John McCarthy, and I get this all the time. People look me dead in the eye. Big John McCarthy's an idiot. He doesn't do anything. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah. So all the rules, like all, all the rules? I mean, yeah, all all the rules he wrote. All the all all of the rules he wrote. So it wasn't a committee. It wasn't twenty five guys sitting down and working. It wasn't a bunch of lawyers. It was John McCarthy sitting down there and writing writing these things and rewriting and refiguring out all the rules. All the rules. That's what John does. On top of that, he's in the middle of establishing. You've taken the course and passed it. I've taken the course and passed it. Making it so that every judge and referee in the entire world is on the same page is on the exact same page so that when we're out there working, this is the reason why when you go to California, if you, if you notice how the California uh, commission is set up underneath Andy Foster as the head commissioner, that they have very few mistakes. They have very few referee or judging incidents where you're like, holy crap. And if it happens, that referee or judge gets sat down, meaning go back down to amateur. Here's what you did wrong. Let's work on it together. We're not, we're not punishing you, but let's work on it together for everybody to get fixed. And then we'll bring you back up when, when, when you're ready. Right. And so you go in and you work and, and let me, let me tell you, I'm licensed professional as a referee in, uh, in California and Hawaii and a, and a professional judge in Hawaii as well. And you go in these, these, these California state Athletic commission things, the first, in your, in your first little bit, and you're first coming in, it's a little like walking into the UFC for the first time. Like, like you get that big walk, like it's, wow, this is big show. This is big stuff. And at the end of it, everybody talks and goes over all the judges, all the inspectors, all the referees go over everything, every single time. What happened in this fight, how this fight was great, how this fight had a, had a hiccup in it, what happened with this judging scoring over here, what went on with this thing. It's all talked about in like an hour, hour and a half meeting after the fights are over. All the fans are going home and getting something to drink and eat. We're sitting down still talking about stuff. And it is it is amazing to watch. I really believe in top-down leadership. Like if the top has to be dialed in. Andy Foster is one of the most involved, uh, in, in control uh, 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 head commissioners. Like he, This man knows what he's doing. Like he, he gets it and he knows all the moving parts. But also in the middle of it, he will defer to a Mike Beltran or defer to a John McCarthy the actual referees that ref that night as the heads, the higher-ups, and ask them how they feel about a particular situation. And and might have an, a, a, I don't want to say a disagreement, but they'll have a, a, a conversation about it. But then at the end of it, everybody's on the same page. Whatever happens, everybody's on the same page. So you watch California, nothing, you see very little things happening because John McCarthy established a situation where everybody's trying to be on the same page. Every single judge, every single ref, it's just be looking at the fight for the exact same things, the exact same way, depending on how you, what position you're in. And then that is because of John's work from the 90s. When there were no rules, to him going, hey, we have to have rules. One of the rules has to be weight classes. 
One of these things have to be, we have to stop the hair pulling, the groin shots, the eye gouging, the, the fish hooking. We have to stop the net. Like it's a progress. It's a progress. So anybody that says like, Oh, big John McCarthy does nothing. You're a complete effing retard because let's be honest. The man does more for the sport than anybody could ever possibly know. And the repercussions are felt down the amateur level, down to the guy that's never fought before. He's 0-0 walking into his first amateur fight. McCarthy has set those rules up for you. He, he set you up. So from the very beginning of your career to where we are right now, McCarthy's been in the back in the shadows. He's the guy behind the guy behind the guy and never asks for anything. Never, never right. asks for anything. You're so right. It's crazy, right? Like the guy that's that influential in the sport, he's just kind of like, eh, it's for them. Let them take care of it. But, you know, it's fine. I've been saying it for it's years. So this guy belongs in the UFC Hall of Fame, MMA Hall of Fame, whatever Hall of Fame. He belongs in every Hall of Fame. And, and the one thing about John that I've noticed, um, he never makes you feel small or makes you feel like a dummy. But, man, is he smart because him and I will go at it, whether it's in person or, or via text. I'm looking at a text from him right now on my screen here. We're, we're, I, I just brought up an idea to him. Uh, he has a different version. I mean, I, I, I don't think I have his permission just yet to, to say what he stated. But, in essence, what I brought up to him, Frank, was – so with me doing play-by-play for, for Ryzen in Japan, I noticed some of the things that the refs do there. They've been doing this in the Shudo days as well, is if, if a referee is in the ring or the cage and they see a submission, uh, a legit submission about to be applied, they do the shoot symbol, right? And they, they let, they let the, I guess they let the judges know, the crowd know, whomever know that, hey, you know what? There's a submission going on right now. This dude or girl needs to defend themselves. I think it's a fantastic idea. John's is a little bit different. Um, and again, it, it brings in subjectivity, whether a person actually – this is why I love the command course because you need to know these submissions and positions and, and reversals and throws and takedowns. And, and when, it, when a fighter's in danger, when a fighter's aggressive, uh, when he's in a dominant position, when the fighter's not in a dominant position. But I kind of like the fact that, hey, you know what? You are now informing somebody that there's a situation where this fight could end. John's theory is a little bit different. It's more or less a posture when he gets down, when he gets over, when he gets close sort of thing. Uh, and that's what he kind of tells the judges. If you see me doing this – this fight's about to end. Uh, I kind of liked a little bit more of the uh, – what he doesn't like, I think, in Japan is the way they verbalize it. Do you want to quit? Right? It's, well, you don't want to say that to a fighter or how they verbalize it. But I like the fact that when there's a submission on, that little symbol, that little gesture, that little hand motion can inform everybody that's watching, hey, we got a, we got a situation here where this fight's going to end. And if it doesn't end, Frank – it's good for the judges to know that this happened, you know, a minute and 30 in, and it continued to about three minutes in. So for about a minute and a half, fighter A was in a dominant situation where fighter B now has to take that momentum and bring it back in his or her favor. Sure. <laughs> was, was the submission actually on? Was that fighter actually in danger? What, was, was that fighter being caught in that arm bar? Was he, was, was he or she really in danger at that point in time? Was there any chance of the arm being fully extended? Was there any chance of them of them stepping over the top and and, uh, and uh, getting out of it? Like you're looking at all these different factors. If something's really caught, and for me to go, oh, catch, and that's the that's the sim. Oh no, catch! You're like no, man. Like so, you don't like it. You don't like it. No, because maybe I'm not necessarily in there. And the other thing is, like you just said, I'm in. So we have this big big badass fight. I smack you two left hands. Crack, crack. You fall down. I jump on top of you, bang, I fall into an armbar. I'm fully wrapped over. There's no way you're getting, there's no way you're getting this armbar. You're half dazed. But I'm in here for a minute and a half because you're just holding on trying to survive. I finally get my arm out. Bang! 
Bang, round's over. I hit you four times. You hand me an armbar for a minute and a half. Who wins? I'm going to go with you because of the damage incurred from those punches. So what does the catch mean, then? It's just simply saying that this person is in a situation where they could be. If it's a garbage armbar, I can attest to that. But I'm talking. You're always in a position where you're about to get knocked out. You're always in the spot. Always. The moment that I go, are you ready? Are you ready? And I go, fight and step back. You both of you are now in a situation for the fight to end. Right then. There's a four-second knockout two weekends ago here in Hawaii. Uh, remember Ray? Remember Ray Cooper? Ray Brada Cooper? Yeah. This kid is like 10 and 0. They can't find anybody left on the island to fight him. He had a 41 second knockout like three months ago, and then two weeks ago he had a four second, four second knockout, four second. Always in trouble, always in danger. You're always in trouble, always in danger in the fight. Now, if you're, you're grappling, and of course the judges can't see what's going on underneath because I'm right here, I'm right in it. I can see it. But yeah, I take a little posture. I'll lean down. I'll squat a little bit to kind of take a look at it. But then if I'm looking at, you'll see me. And this is one of the things that comes from John. Now, John's opinion might be completely different, so I'm not speaking for John. I'm just telling you my opinion and how I handle it. I squat down. When I see that there's nothing happening there, I'll stand back up again take a half step back. I'm like, okay, we're out of this. Now the judges know there's really nothing going on. But if I had it called catch, they're still looking at this position like, oh, he's, he's in there. Time's going. He's still in there. He's not. He's not in there. She's not. They're fine. They're, totally, they're, not, they're in a position now. The elbow's slipping out. They just haven't got all the way out of it yet. Now, can we have a Tim Sylvia, um, Frank Mir position where the elbow's all the way out and the forearm gets broken? Yeah, of course. But that's not what's happening yet because it's still crunched up. When they extend out, you get a little bit closer. Then you back out. You get, I mean, there's all these different things that go on. That catch symbol, it bothered me when I was fighting over there. Because, like, hold on. These guys aren't in bad positions. The referee is just calling the position because he feels like he has to do something. You don't have to do anything. The best position for a referee is for the fighter to go, hey, did you ref my fight? Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Yep, yep. I did my job. I was, had nothing to do with it. I was completely out of the way. So one of the things that I that I personally like about it is there's situations and there's times when I look at action taking place. Uh, a, a basic example is the Von Flu choke, right? Oh, this guy's in a guillotine. Yeah. Well, guess what? He's not in a guillotine. And I can tell you why he's not in a guillotine. He's actually got the guy on the bottom uh, in a submission because his left shoulder is in his right, uh, the right part of his uh, neck, and he's squeezing on that side there. That guy's actually in trouble. What I'm saying is there's probably judges, or probably there's lots of judges out there that have no idea that there's a situation right now where this guy is about to go to sleep if he doesn't let go of that guillotine because he's basically going to be choked unconscious. So when he calls catch, what do the judges do? Because in that position, if you don't know what's going on, you think the guy on the bottom's got the position, you're giving him credit for the position when he's actually in trouble. Guy on top looks like he's in trouble, but he actually has a submission. But the, all the ref did is go, catch. So now what? Do you want to quit? Who's he talking to? So now I think the referee's booing. You just, you just put something else in my head now. Referee has to wear red or blue. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. I love it. Come on. This is, now you're just like, that's just getting ridiculous. Ref, refs wear all black. Why? So we can hide. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I want we be gone. I don't have anything to do with it. You know? And all I want to do is go fight, get out of the way, stop, ready, ready, do it again. Okay, we're done. Let's get out of here. That's all I want to do. So right. like, I, get point. I do understand your point too, but you're also doing it from – so the first time – I took John McCoy's course, course twice. The first time I took it was specifically because I wanted to be a better commentator. I wanted to know what the refs and judges are looking at and, t- and scoring. Like why, why are they doing these, these particular things? So that's why I took it. 
Second time I took it was to be a, a referee. That's the second time where I took it. But I took the hybrid course, judging and refereeing, because I wasn't sure where, I'd, where I would excel. Um, this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And, and to be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen at home, not every fighter can do this. And I'll get to the reasons why here in a second. So I take the course a second time to be a, be a referee. And I failed both courses. First one, because I didn't, I didn't take the, the, the testing portion. The second, because I believe that Elaine and John completely failed me on purpose. I believe I did good enough to get through. But John and Elaine were like, nope, we're not going to let you through. We're going to fail you. I then went and met with John for six to eight weeks, twice a week, and took private lessons from him up at his old academy up in, up in California and was going over every single position, every single nuance to get through these things. The problem was, and this is the position you're coming from, I took the course and looked at it from a commentating standpoint. So what I'm talking about, this is what they're looking for in there. This is what's going on in there. Never having actually done the action. Then I go and I start doing the actual action inside. I'm like, oh, my, my thought process, even after taking the course, coming from a commentator's mindset, isn't wrong. It's just not completely accurate because I'm not in that position where I'm, yes, commentators are sitting right behind the line. They're, they're just as close as judges are. But there's one commentating booth, three judges booths, right? There's three judges around the ring. So there's six eyeballs on what you're looking at versus only two eyeballs on what you're looking at. You know what I'm saying? So yep. that's why you get the three scores that come with a better decision. The referee is even closer than the judges. They're right in there. So I understand what you're saying, but once you start getting into the mannerisms and the protocol of what has to happen, now all of a sudden I have to figure out which hand goes up for what, who's got the catch and where, like all that stuff. Now all of a sudden you're trying to put too much stuff in my hands. You're putting too much control into my hands as, as an official. As a referee, my only job, is fighter safety. My job is to make sure, yes, it's a fight. Yes, it's brutal. There are fouls. There are, there are things that stop. I want to make sure that you guys are safe, as safe as possible, being in a street fight. This is what we're doing. And so my now all of a sudden doing these catch things isn't fighter safety. This now makes me part of the judging group because I'm letting the judges know which way to score. And that's not that's not my spot. That's not my, my role. My role is fighter safety. Start, stop this fight. Wave it off if there's a, a significant ending. That's it. Now, like I said, that's my opinion with my 400 bouts reft and my, my 300 bouts judged. Talk to the guy that's got 25,000 of each. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he might have a different opinion. So I'm telling you, this is my opinion and I'm a newbie. So I could be completely wrong or slightly wrong, which when John watches this, he'll immediately call me and start bitching about my pinky being in the wrong spot. 
kind of kind of situation. This is and for those at home don't understand what, what I mean when I say picking the wrong spot. It's so minuscule. That little position is so minuscule, but you're nitpicking on the technique so much that when it's time to do it for real in front of a large crowd, it's just automatic. You don't even think about where you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to go. John's very much a pinky in the right spot kind of teacher. Everything has to be perfectly correct. And so he gets on you all the time when something is off because then when the big shit happens, when stuff really goes wrong, you're dialed right in. It's not a problem. Yeah, Big John's an absolute. Whenever I get that call, that text or e-person, like, Joe, I got to talk to you for a second. I'm like, dude, can we get a meal? Because this is this is not going to be a second. I already know where this is going. Um, I want to ask you a bunch of stuff. Let's, let's oh, my on. God. Yeah, right? Because that's, that's what he does. It's just even Elaine. Oh, if I ever see my, my inbox and it says Elaine McCarthy, I'm like, oh, no. What did I, I know, do? But, what did I do? Oh, real quick before I switch off, I want to explain why fighters aren't, aren't might, you know, can't really do this, can't really make the transition from fighting into judging and refing. Uh, first of all, um, there's no money. I mean, there's no money. Like we're, we're talking about, you make a thousand dollars and you work all night. It's not thousand dollars per fight. It's for the entire night. Like I work all night. Like, I have to be. Uh, let's see, Bellator. I have to report it at uh, two p.m. I have to report at two p.m. Uh, first fights at uh, 3.30, which will probably be my fight because my team for, Bell- for the next Bellator is uh, is uh, uh, McCarthy, uh, Beltran, Herzog, and Trigg. That's the that's the four of us. So I'm, I'm, I'm obviously on the undercard. That's where I belong. So in that group, that's where I am. So I'll be on the undercard. So I'll fight first fight. We don't get done until the meeting after the fights are over. So we're looking at like midnight. So I get there at 2.30, midnight, I'm making $1,000. That's, that's nothing for the amount of time when they're spending. A fighter who's used to being there half that time gets in, warms up, fights, goes home, makes 30 times on the low end, 100 times, 2 million times. That, if you're depending on who the, who the uh, if you're talking about Conor McGregor and those guys, like, there's no money in it. So you take a guy, fighter that's used to making like 50 and 50, come judge and ref. Yeah, yeah I'm good. <laughs> I'm going to go do something else. So it's hard because a lot of guys can't can't afford they can't afford to do it. There's no pay increase, and then the mentality behind it you're not you can't stop thinking like a fighter. Like Beltran yelled at me, shoot the first six months, stop thinking like a fighter. I would think I would go going back to the catch situation. If I were in that position, I'd be okay. So that guy must be okay. That's not true. Yeah, I exactly. yeah, I hear you saying that guy could be okay. He could not be okay. We don't know. Like you gotta you gotta treat it like every single person is the same. Every single man. And woman that steps inside that, that that cage or ring are exactly the same. And it's it's like you're never sure if somebody's safe from certain positions get to treat the same way. You always have to be close enough in case they're not safe. We're there for fighter safety. So it's, there's people always go, oh, yeah, I think more fighters and more people should do it. No, it's it's super difficult, super hard. Matt Danzig passed the course. He's certified in, in, uh, to do it. And he's like, I, he had to stop doing it because there's not enough money. On the weekends, you can make more money. He makes just as much money cornering people on the weekends as he would if he judge a ref. Unless, so why would he buy less stress? Way less stress. Yeah. No, and and, and Beltran and Herzog, uh, I got to see them in Japan a couple of times. Herzog most likely Herzog always comes over uh, and does the rise and fights and, and just an- another amazing guy. Both guys are fantastic as well. That's, that's a solid team with you four over there uh, to say the least. But you mentioned Bellator. Uh, you know, there's Ryan Bader potentially going to Bellator. There's a rumor yeah. Lorenz Larkin going there. Uh, obviously, Rory McDonald taking up Paul Daly there. Bellator and Viacom are, are you know, are, are they chipping away here? At what's happening in this MMA bubble uh, and sort of getting a bigger piece of that pie slowly but surely? Or is it just a matter of, you know what, nah, it is what it is? Well, there's, let's, let's not forget the back end of this. Um, 
I believe Scott Coker's agreement is up in July. So you have to remember, with Strikeforce, he owned the company. It was his company. He built it up from a baby shell, made it into the, into the great sport that everybody, the, uh, the great promotion everybody remembers. But he is, I, I believe it's done in July. Maybe it's done in June. I'm not, I'm not positive. Um, then what happens with Scott? He can make that, he can make Bellator into a billion dollar company. And he, and he's, he's going to get what? He's not, he's not a shareholder. You know, he's not, he's not part, he's, he's an employee. So the question becomes, how much longer will Scott be around? Well, he signed up for another year. We signed up for another five years. Will he be around? What's he going to do? Does he need the money? Which I don't believe he does. I don't know the numbers, but I think he made a lot, enough money from Strikeforce to kind of be done forever, like to retire. So does he need the money? Does he, what's his motivation to keep doing this? Why is he still around? Then on top of this, the UFC has new owners. And these new owners, I don't think they get it. They're, they're really – they, I've watched them not re-sign a top 10 guy. I've watched them not re-sign a top 15 guy. You know, and when I say guy, I could mean guy or girl. But I'm, I'm watching them do this. They're not re-signing these people. And they're, they're now – they're out. Like, they're end of their contracts are done. Tim Boach is about to fight Jack Array this tomorrow night. And it's his last fight of his contract. And they have not had a conversation with him about contract uh, extension. So this is a guy that – he's a warrior. What they're doing, it seems like to me, over in the UFC is they're looking for only the entertainment guys. They're owned by an entertainment company now. So it's like they only want the guys that are entertaining. So guys like Conor McGregor, no matter how much of a pain in the ass he becomes for them, no matter how much of a thorn in their side he becomes for them, they're never going to let him go. He's a moneymaker. Ronda Rousey, as long as they can keep her on, whether she's winning fights or not, she moves the needle, they're going to keep her. She can go on a, on a, on a fight-fight losing streak. Take, a, uh, take a, a Jim Miller, who I just read, read an interesting article on the website that he, he's still suffering from Lyme disease, which I thought he had taken care of. Um, he hasn't been that entertaining. His, his last few fights. What happens if he loses? Are they going to cut him on one? Are they going to cut him on a loss? Like what's? And this is a guy that, that everybody knows. This makes no sense. As a result, Beltor gets to pick up all these UFC guys that no, that they don't want to grab. Bader just isn't exciting. He's just not an entertaining guy. So you let him go. Okay. Now he's going to go. Where's he going to go? He's going to go to the next best thing. You know, it's 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 not it's not Ryzen, it's not Titan, it's not Legacy. It's going to be Bellator. Because they have the money. They have Viacom money. They have the money to be able to catch him back up to what he was making in the UFC. Plus, he come back with his own sponsors. So are they making moves? It's a little bit of timing and opportunity, really, I think, with Viacom. They're in the right space at the right time. They, they've gotten through the, the growing pain that they had of, of going from, from um, being an independent organization to being owned by Viacom to Bjorn, Bjorn Remney running it to now Bjorn's out and then Scott comes in. And they, they've gotten through all those growing pains and transitional pains and all that stuff. Now it's time for them to explode, and they're doing so. When we saw them just announce Ray McDonald and, and Paul Daly, and that's and why is it not Michael Michael Ben Page? Like why is it not Mike? Because Ray McDonald's a bigger name, and and it's a it's something that Paul Daly asked for. So now Belt Wilson has this fight in London. I think it's May nineteenth. They have this fight in London, and it's and it's like now we're already talking about it. We're, we're in February. We're already talking about this May fight that's going to happen because Paul just need. Uh, Flying knee knocked out his last opponent. And Rory, we've seen his war with Lawler. Like we, everyone's seen that. If you haven't seen it once, you've seen it a hundred times. He's a battler. Like this guy's going to be in there, and he's the more, most well-rounded fighter that, that Paul Daly's ever seen. Bellator's in the right place at the right time. These guys are becoming free. These guys are wanting to test the free market now because they're not happy with what's going on over the UFC. And Bellator's standing right there going, we're going to pick and choose the best guys. Yeah. We're going to have it. How do you think he got Fedor over uh, over into uh, the fight Mitch Rion on on the 18th? 
You know, it's because of is because Coker was in the right place at the right time and keeps all of his all of his old uh, contacts. So Bellator is making moves, and, and it's going to be a lot of big moves in 2017. Now, will one of those moves be be Coker leaving? Will one of those moves be Coker signing another five year deal? Will one of those things them announcing that Coker is now a 20 percent owner or 30 percent owner of the company? Who knows what fighters they're going to get? But we're, but you and I are going to be sitting there watching every day trying to figure out who's going to get them next. You know, and Bader, I kind of think that that Bader's going to end up over there. I really do. So if you're Viacom, what do you what do you do with Coker? Because and 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 if you're Coker, what do you do? Because technically, I mean, can he go off and start something else? Absolutely, can. I'm sure there's something in this contract that'll prevent him from doing it right off the bat. But you need a TV deal, right? So you know, I'm sure he's got TV contacts. But there, or does Viacom say, you know what? Yeah, we want to keep this guy. Eh, we'll give him twenty percent, ten percent, five percent, where he can make more money. Um, and if you're saying that that Coker had you know made so much money in that sale from Strikeforce and doesn't need the money, then what's his motivation? So there's so many different moving pieces here. It's tough yeah. to predict. But if you had a crystal ball and said, you know what, maybe this will happen or that'll happen, you know, what would it be in, in terms of Bellator and Scott Coker and where it's going to be by the end of 2017? Viacom did the same thing with uh, uh, TNT Wrestling. Um, they bought the promotion, got rid of a lot of a lot of dead weight. Changed some, changed some things over, and then brought everybody in uh, that was going to make the company work well. I really believe, I personally, I really believe they're going to keep Coker because if you let Coker go, one hundred percent he's going to go start something else. One hundred percent he's going to be, he's going to be in your, in your, in three years or five years from now, he's going to rate up, he's going to rate up your butt, you know, grabbing your guys, being, you know, getting the ratings that you were having, like stealing all your stuff from you. He's just that good. He, he is, he is the, the MMA promoting golden goose like that guy he knows how to put stuff together from nothing from an investment money to holy crap what an amazing fight we just had like all the way through this whole stuff you know uh uh they gotta be they gotta be smart Viacom makes more money they they know how to make money they know that with coker they're gonna keep making more money they gotta find a way to keep them so do whatever they want or get him to sign something where they're gonna give him enough money while he'll retire if he's like i'm really i'm done like i don't want to work for you guys anymore i'm really done with it okay here's enough money and you, you can't compete. You can't cross-compete with us ever again, anywhere, ever you're done. Like, that's the only two ways it can go. Because if you're like, ah, Coker, you know, your deal's up. And like I said, I think it's July. It could be June. Hell, it could be October. I'm not really sure. But I think I heard someplace that's, that's July. They could tell him in June, like, we're not going to renegotiate. Um, we're, we're good. Uh, and Coco, Coco could go off and start and, and literally have something new started by September. And be throwing an event by by New Year's Eve, like 100 percent could be doing it. Like it wouldn't be a problem for him at all. And if you know that about the guy you have in charge of your company, the face of your company right now, you're gonna do a little bit to keep him around and take kind of kind of do what he needs to. Because especially when you're getting this much gravity, you're getting this much space now, things are starting to jump through the roof. Interesting, very interesting. All right, uh, we're get, we're running low on time here. We'll get over to the UFC two away card right now. We'll just do the main card. Uh, Dustin Poirier will kick off the broadcast versus Jim Miller, or the aforementioned Jim Miller. You mentioned him earlier on. Um, I like this fight for a variety of reasons. For me, it's Dustin Poirier how he's going to deal with Jim Miller because Jim Miller is guaranteed to be there for fifteen minutes and hard and push the pace. But Dustin Poirier is going to have some reach on him, and he's he can end a fight in a heartbeat. Uh, how do you break this one down? You know what? I, I I really you know look at the line. I think the line is really really disparate. I think it's a really bad line. You know when it's this much of a separation between these two guys, it's going to be a war. It's going to be one of those stand up battle wars where both guys are going to be able to maintain it. But then you have to look at a guy like like Jim Miller. Dustin's really good on the ground, but doesn't like going there unless he has to. Where Jim Miller is like, if he gets in any kind of trouble or sees any kind of opening, he's going to put it to the ground and, and, and he's got really good jiu jitsu game. The question is, 
how healthy is Jim Miller? That's the deciding factor in this thing. How healthy is Jim really? We've seen him fight before where he wasn't in great shape, and it was because of his Lyme disease. He was having problems with, with his Lyme disease. And, of course, like I said on the, on the, uh, on the uh, website, there's an article about him battling his Lyme disease. He says it's, in great, it's great, but how many times we interviewed a fighter and went, oh, it's the best training camp of my life and the best shape of my life. I'm so strong. This is the, I'm in the best diet. Making weight was so easy. And you see him fight, you're like, you, you got nothing. So I don't like the way the line is, but I do think that Dustin Poirier is going to win. I do think it's going to be a, it's going to be a fifteen round, a fifteen minute decision, uh, and I do think that Dustin's going to win the fight. Yeah, it's at minus four seventy for most books right now for Dustin Poirier. That is absolutely huge. Uh, the next one after that is Glover Teixeira taking on uh, Jared Cannonier. This is Glover's first fight uh, since being brutally knocked out by Anthony Rumble Johnson. Um, you know, I, I am leaning towards Glover in this fight here, uh, but man, you get knocked out like that. It's, you know, I, you think he'll be tentative, or is he that much of a veteran to say, man, we're, we're good to go here? Really, this fight's a pick him because of the fact that he did get knocked out so bad. In the first fight back after getting knocked out, one, is it's not only being tentative, hey, am, am I still in this fight? Am I still a fighter? But it's also how good is your chin at this point? So you can improve your chin. People talk, oh, you can't improve a guy's chin. You can't improve a guy's chin. You can improve a guy's chin. The problem is to improve a guy's chin, it's six to eight months off of any kind of striking, getting any kind of head trauma, and doing a bunch of neck exercises and a bunch of, bunch of stability exercises that as a, as a professional athlete, you can't do. You don't have time to take that window of six to eight months of not doing any, any, uh, any striking game or any, any sparring game and, and, and not getting my head racked around. Even in, even in jets, you, you know, if you're rolling, all of a sudden you, know, you have a, a quick explosion. Your head still gets racked around. Even if it doesn't hit the, hit the ground, it's still getting racked around. So you can improve a guy's chin. There's the ability to make a guy come back from every time he gets touched, he gets knocked out, to now all of a sudden he's back to being full bore. It takes time, which Glover has not had. He hasn't taken the time off. He went back and started training right away. So now there's that, that instance of how good is his chin now that, that Rumble knocked his head into the fifth row. And literally that, the, the, the memes that came out after of, of that happening were, were funny as all hell, but it kind of makes you realize, like, he's got some serious trauma going on. What's going to happen? I am leaning towards Glover because he, he is such a stud, but I, am, I make it a little bit of a closer line because I really do think that, that I don't know how well his chin is going to be, and nobody knows that. Nobody knows until we actually get in the fight and we see him get hit. And now the biggest line in this card, obviously, is Ronaldo Jacare Souza taking on the aforementioned Tim Boach. This screams finish in this fight if you're a Jacare fan. And, and finish Tim Boach, you could probably do it by submission. You could probably do it by, you know, KO, TKO, yeah, for sure. But submission is something that I'm leaning towards in this fight here because Souza, in my opinion, can fight for this 185-pound title tomorrow. Uh, he's putting it all on the line here. He's risking everything, in my opinion, in fighting Tim Boach because, you know, this guy does deserve a title shot. I know he lost to... Uh, to Yoel Romero in, in what I believe is one of the most underappreciated fights in a very long time because it just went to show you how tough Souza is and how awesome Romero is. But Souza and, and Boach, I'm really – I mean, it's it's not obvious. I mean, it's it's at minus 525. I think there's a reason why Jacare is the favorite here. Yeah, it, it really is. He's more explosive. He's stronger. Yeah, Tim's got better, better stronger caveman-style stand-up. But Jacare is just so explosive and so long. It's going to be tough to hit him. He can throw you from any position that he wants to. He's got incredible – fast twitch muscle ability, uh, and then put him on the ground. And, I mean, you can't even call him a black belt, really, in MMA as, as far as jiu-jitsu goes. I mean, you almost have to call him a red belt. Like, he's so advanced. Like, he's better than da- Damon Maya when it comes to jiu-jitsu for MMA. Now, Damon's a better true sport jiu-jitsu practitioner and no-gi practitioner, yes. But Jock Ray for MMA, his jit is by far the best that there is out there. And, and of course, we will agree and disagree and argue about it and, 
and all that. But I really do believe he's the best. And I honestly believe that if you're looking at the last 12 months of how the weight class has gone and how the guys have fought, that Jacare is the best 185-pounder. He really is. And it's unfortunate that the champ right now at the weight class is not the best guy. He's had to be in the right space at the right time to sneak himself in there and then gets to fight a 155-year-old man to keep the belt. And that's just kind of how it goes. So that end, he's entertaining. Wow, we're back on that game again where they're going to keep him kind of protected because he is so entertaining. Jacare is not that entertaining because he doesn't speak English very well. His fights are amazingly entertaining. Jacare wins his fight. I mean, I, I got I to gotta, – hold on, let me look. I'm trying to figure out what the over-under is on the damn uh, – uh, yeah, it's round and a half. Yeah, it's round and a half. I was going to say, I'm pretty surprised this thing gets out of the second round. I really will be surprised he got out of the second round. But it's Tim Bosch. There is an ability for him to hit somebody hard enough to knock him down. Oh, knock yeah. Him out. Oh, yeah. Like, he has that spot. So, Jacare gets sloppy. He could catch him. But it's one of those, okay, for Jacare to win, how does he win? He wins A, B, C, D, E, F. How does Tim wins if he wins? A. He's got one way to win. That's the only way he can win in this fight. That's by knocking Jacare completely unconscious and get a TKO stoppage. Otherwise, that's it. There's no other way. Jacare can win any way he wants. So, yes, the line uh, uh, is very large in separation, but it's very accurate as well. All right. Um, before we move on to the co-main event, I, want to do, I do want to ask you real quick. Uh, I mentioned UL Romero, who started a GoFundMe page for Michael Bisping's medical, <laughs> medical expenses after they fight. Is that not the most gangster move ever? That's awesome. And what, what, it was like, I, I, I didn't look at it today, but it was already had like a couple hundred dollars into it. when I no. <laughs> it. serious? People are putting money in there? And I'm like, people really are. And then, but now it's going to be on, on Yol. Like it's going to be on him now. So he beats him up, and then he goes and, 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 and uh, puts Mike on the hospital. And there's like 20 grand in that account. Mike's going to be like, where's my money? <laughs> where's my money? So now all of a sudden, he's going to have to put that money out. He's going to have to give him the money. And that's going to hurt worse. You're like, oh, I'm just, I did it as a joke. And people are paying into it. Now, let's say, for an example, there's 20 grand in it. The crowd will give this guy money. That is the most gangster move. That, that is the biggest mic drop you ever. You can't, you, can't, you can't beat that argument now. Like, he can't, all he has to do, every, every time there's an interview and Mike starts John Adam, all he has to do is uh, um, just go ahead and, uh, if you guys are looking, go to GoFundMe go now and uh, donate to Michael Bisming's medical expenses for after the fight. And that's all he has to say. Total gangster. And, that, Total and that's, gangster. The entire rest of, that's the entire rest of the press conference. He's done. That's all I got to <laughs> You can't beat it. You can't beat that. That's so gangster. All right. Uh, speaking of absolute craziness, well, I guess well, maybe not. Maybe not. Hold on a second here. Um, Anderson Silva is the underdog, okay, against Derek yeah. Brunson. Greatest of all time is a plus one twenty as we speak. Derek Brunson's a minus one forty. There's something in me that will always think Anderson Silva is not just the greatest of all time. I just wish he would stop screwing around and execute his his matrix like techniques and just finish people off the way he should. But there's father time, so I'm kind of looking at this going. Maybe you know, he technically is the underdog, and maybe he, I don't know. Like I'm still trying to wrap my head around this one, Frank. So let, let's not let's let's get through something first when it comes to betting lines. Betting lines are not really set on who's going to win and who's going to lose. Okay. The house doesn't set them that way. They set them on where the money's going to go. That's what yes. they're setting on. Where do you think the fans are going to put their money? Because the house is always going to win. They're always trying to win the game. So they're never going to try. So if you look at history, recent history, fans are looking at it and going, yeah, Derek's a killer. And really what's Anderson done? Yeah, he was the greatest. He was the greatest at one time, pound for pound, uh, uh, best in the world. But now he's not anymore. And his matrix-like style is all based on timing and speed. And we all know as Father Time steps on your ass, it slows down. And you can't keep that same timing and speed, so he doesn't have the same, the same thing. 
Um, they still have power. Yeah, we saw him drop Mike in the uh, Michael Bisming in the third round. We saw him drop him to the point where Michael was like, "Yeah, fight's done. Like we're we're done. Like the fight is over." And Herb has to tell you, "I didn't wave it off." Like when Herb being the referee goes, "I didn't wave it off." Like he know you know when a man does that to you in the middle of a fight that's kind of back and forth, you know he still has power. And it was late, and he was tired, and he just throws that that right hand down the center and cracked him. And he's like, dropped right to the ground and the bell rings. Like, yep, okay. He still has power. Timing and speed does he still have, which is what makes Conor McGregor so good right now with his striking is the timing and the speed. He's still young. He's still quick. He's still agile. Anderson doesn't have that anymore. Um, I saw Anderson doing a, doing a scrum where a reporter asked someone about a super fight with Conor McGregor. Um, and Anderson, who's very humble and very intelligent when it comes to the game, is like, it's not because I hate him or I want to beat him up. Yes, I'm the bigger guy but I want to fight him because I think it'll be a good fight at this time in my career. This will be a good fight. Four years ago, it doesn't get out of the first round. Anderson completely demolishes him. Now, 2017, this is a pretty competitive fight between him and, and Conor McGregor. It's not that bad. This fight with, Br- with Bronson, he should be the, under, the underdog in this one. It's Derek Bronson. He's a lot rawer. He, he doesn't have none of as much technique and skill uh, when it comes to like, traditional sweet science boxing. But he hits you like a Mack truck with every single punch. Even if you block the punches, you're getting rattled. So now it's a question of can the older Anderson Silva, not the old man, the older Anderson Silva, can he handle coming back from a broken leg injury, coming back from a couple of bad defeats, taking fights on short notice, having a little, really trying to build his legacy back up and really trying to get in these fights. Does he have what it takes to be a young, hungry stud like Derek Bronson who wants to prove that, that he, is, he is in the hunt, that he is a top-end guy? We're going to have to wait and see. But it's definitely, definitely um, in this position, if you're going to lay money because you got Anderson Silva as an underdog, you got to lay money in Anderson because he is the better bet because he is the underdog. He's a guy that always finds a way to win. We saw it with, with uh, um, Chael Sonnen. He's losing four and a half rounds. He's getting his ass kicked for four and a half rounds and finds a way to put a triangle on to win the fight. And it's just that's Anderson Silva. He finds a way. He never gives up on himself. He never quits. Those self-doubts that fighters get, mate, this kind of sucks. Maybe I should stop. Oh, this kind of hurts. Maybe I should tap. Anderson doesn't have those those things. It doesn't have that wiring. Nope, there's a way out. I'm going to find it. There's a way out. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way out of this position. And he finds a way out most of the time. And so you got to kind of – you got to give him props. You can never count him out, ever. Ever count that guy out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that fight just to see which Anderson Silva shows up and, and how he deals with the younger Derek Brunson, who's just like you said, he hits like a Mack truck. But in that main event, uh, for the first time ever, the UFC will crown their first ever women's featherweight champion. Uh, you know, we call it the cyborg division, but she's not competing. It's Holly Holm taking on uh, Jermaine Durandami. Uh, I'm leaning towards Holly Holm in this fight. I think she's got more keys to victory here than Jermaine does. But this is one of those cases, in my opinion, Frank, a fight's a fight. And once those gloves and, and your hands are wrapped, Look out, things could get real ugly. I think this one does go uh, potentially, you know, at least into the fourth or fifth round. Uh, and I do believe Holly Holm will some way, somehow find a way uh, to finish this fight. But it could go 25 minutes. It's, it's tough to say. How do you break this one down? It's a tough one because you're looking at Holly's speed and, and high energy rate and, and long and uh, super high punch count versus uh, uh, Durante's uh, ability to kick the crap out of you, punch the crap out of you, and elbow you quickly, hard, and fierce from the inside. Who's going to be able to establish your game plan quicker? Um, if Holly establishes her game plan quicker, then it's going to be a situation where it's going to be a lot of hunt peck, a lot of running, and then and then Jermaine's going to be able to survive it. It's going to end up being five rounds because she's a tough, tough character. It's very hard to put her down on the ground. Um, so I really don't see Holly finishing the fight, but I see Holly winning the fight if it goes to the decision. The only way this fight finishes 
early is that Jermaine catches Holly and smashes her hard and heavy. Uh, I have a problem with this fight as a whole, though. I don't like interim championship belts. I don't like made-up fictitious belts, calling that we're going to have a world title with the two best. I don't like that crap. If you want to start a new weight class, then bring eight people in and go, these eight people are now in a tournament, and the winner of the tournament wins the belt. And now we have a buildup. And you put Holly and Jermaine in the opposite ends of the bracket. If that's what you want. If that's who you think is going to make the finals, but opposite ends of the bracket. Have these guys fight over, you know, over uh, uh, every every other, you know, every other month, like every eight weeks or every or every ninety days, they fight again and going through a full title. I don't like it. I didn't like it when Ronda Rousey came in. Like, oh yeah, she's a champ, one hundred thirty-five pounds, but never fought anybody yet. And they're just developing the division. Let's put a, let's put a division together where there's a bunch of people and you have a tournament type action. You're not fighting all in one night, but you fight, and then, oh, I, I want to move on. You know, you lose whatever happens, happens, and you just make it that way, and now you have, now you have the champ. But you also have seven other girls in the weight class that are battling around, and you, have, and you have an established weight class now. Right now, who's 145 pounds? They have two girls. So we're taking the two girls we picked out of the crowd to be the champ? Like, that's what we're doing? That's essentially what they're doing. They're picking two girls out of the crowd, and, oh, yeah, neither one of them have fought at 45. They both fought at 35. So you're talking about you're a champ of a weight class that you don't fight at. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. So I have, a, I have an intrinsic problem with the weight class as a whole. But, man, this fight's going to be exciting. Holy crap, the matchmaker on this thing is going to be amazing. I can't wait to see what happens with this thing because I really do think it, it could be a long five-round decision with Holly Hunt and Pax, but then Jermaine can get in there and just and smash her one time and put her down. Round in any, in any fashion, form of, of fake. Holly wins. Holly's a much more well-rounded fighter as a whole and knows the game a lot better. Yeah, and that, that's what I was alluding to uh, when I asked you the question. All right, uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. Anything else that you would like to say? I know I want to make sure people do follow you on social media at Frank Trigg, uh, but anything you want to say to the peeps before I let you go? No, it's just uh, it's, it's tough for me to tell you where to find me. You know, I'm, uh, uh, you'll see me on Chris, Chris Weber's Full Court Pranks, a new show coming out on True TV. I'm a pretty significant acting role in that one. Um, uh, it's gonna be aired during March Madness uh, for you college basketball fans, and then uh, uh, I'm on Lethal Weapon. I was on Lethal Weapon a couple weeks ago, but no one recognized me because I was doubling an actor. I got thrown out of a window, thirty foot window, uh, and then uh, um, what happens to this one? Oh, this this next one you'll see it's me. Like uh, the second to last episode of of Lethal Weapon, you'll definitely know it's me. You can't you can't not know it's me. Like it's uh, I'm a significant part of uh, of the overall episode, and then the rest of it's just like you know just keep following and. And check out my social networks. I'm, I'm pretty active. All of it's me. I'm the guy that answers. I'm the guy that posts. It's not I don't have a, a company doing it or having a team do it. It's all about, it's all me. So if you ask me, uh, if you hit me up directly in a DM or something, I don't answer for a couple of days. It's just because I haven't got to you yet. And I apologize. Perfect. Frank, thank you much for your time. Uh, and for those tuning in right now, thank you for watching live. As you all know, we do go up on iTunes. We do go up on Stitcher. Uh, and I will always tweet and, and follow me on social media at Showdown Joe for the latest information from FightfulMMA.com. We want to thank Frank Trigg. Uh, after I get off this, uh, you know, this podcast with Frank. I'm going to continue to speak with him. Hopefully we can get him on uh, at least every week because uh, as you can see there, there's so much that we could talk about. And uh, yeah, we do disagree on a variety of things. And when Jill is not around, I can get away with more and so can he. So (laughs) as long as she's not around, we can talk more. But uh, leave it with me, ladies and gentlemen. I'll do my best to get Frank here uh, as much as possible, at least once a week, because we'd love to have him on his insight. We haven't even tapped into his insight. People say that that the old saying is the tip of the iceberg. Man, that iceberg is so far down uh, into the ocean. Uh, I I know 
so much about Frank, and Frank knows so much about me that we can discuss so many things. But for now, I do want to thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, and don't forget, after the pay-per-view, Sean Ross Sapp and I will go live uh, to discuss uh, what went down in Brooklyn. But for now, enjoy your Fridays, keep yourself saved, and we'll see you Saturday night. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.